Today's guest is a really fun person to talk with. She's completely challenged your norms. She's talked about things that most people would never talk about. And she's taken that into a career and a path going from sort of the lowest lows to being really alive as a a serial creator, a well-known entrepreneur of a product that you may have heard of. In fact, you probably have heard of. Poopery. Have you heard of that? Of course you have. No, I don't mean those little bags that your grandmother puts in the bathroom. I mean the spray, you know, before you go toilet spray, that one. Yeah, we got the woman behind that on the show. Her name is Susie Batiz, uh, an incredible human being, uh, really more about consciousness, not about making your poo not smell. <laughs> Susie, welcome to the show. <laughs> Although being conscious kind of is about making your poo not spell, but your inner poo, right? Your inner poo. That's right. There you go. You're full of, <laughs> never mind. Have you ever done an interview without a poop joke? No, I don't think so. Why do you have one? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, just, it's like, it's par for the course. You have to make a poop joke. I, my inner seventh grader is like just crawling around and going, come on, say something, Dave. And I'm, I'm using my, you know, semi-enlightened status uh, to hold back on my inner seventh grader. I'll fail of course, but you know, just give me time. Give well, give it to me. I loved when I haven't heard one. <laughs> like, that's, oh my that, gosh. That's, it's so my good. inner fear of failure. I'm like, I know I there's no possible way to come up with a new poop joke for, for Susie. <laughs> yeah. It's just not possible. So I'm just going to hold it for a while. See what I oh. did there? <laughs> See, I, there did it. I didn't there mean to do it. Joke. See, that was a great one. I actually have never heard that. I'll just hold it. That's good. See, I, you did. I didn't plan it either. That's the problem. They just come out when you're not. <laughs> 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 never mind. I lose. <laughs> Exactly. I think you won. That was good. Uh, what you actually do now, though, aside from launching other brands, uh, I mean, Poopery is a, is a big win for you. You have Supernatural, which is a new natural cleaning products company. Thank you. Uh, spraying nasty disinfectants around the planet right now because we're afraid of a virus is only going to destroy soil and water even more quickly. So you can still be clean and maybe not kill all the microbiology all around you. So I, yes. I am grateful you're doing that. Preach it. But really, it, I, I want to talk to you today about how you teach people and you actually do go out and teach them uh, into or teach them about body intelligence, intuition, flow states, creativity, biohacking consciousness which is a bit out there for an entrepreneur. So I want to go there because right now so many listeners have reached out to me on social media and they're just like, hey, tell me how to succeed. You know, Maybe I am just out of college. Maybe I just lost my job uh, or maybe I have a job, but I'm nervous. Like, tell me how to succeed. How did you do it? Because you kind of came from out of nowhere and you had you know, some some rough beginnings and you got to where you are. So I want you to teach people how you did that and of course, we're going to talk about poop because, well, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know what happened is um, I've been in a million businesses. Someday I need to make a list of this. I know at least probably 22 businesses because I always had a job and like a side hustle. I was bankrupt twice. I was bankrupt when I was 19. So I was married, bankrupt, and divorced before I was 20 years old. I tried to kill myself when I was 21 in abusive marriage at 23. I was homeless with two children at 25. And I was bankrupt again my second time when I was 38. So, so your life was a shit show. It was. <laughs> 
was the most epic shit show ever. Like a the biggest mess you've ever seen. And uh, yeah, so I just bottomed out. By the time I was 38 in my second bankruptcy, I was like, I want nothing to do with business. I am literally the worst entrepreneur in the world. I really had made business my enemy. I was like, this is horrible. And so I went on a spiritual sabbatical, went inside, found happiness inside myself through a series of events. Uh, the first one was a hypnotherapist told me I had no meaning in my life. And I said, what are you talking about? I have kids, right? Like, I have meaning. He goes, no, 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 no. Like, you don't have any sort of, like, spiritual you know, interest. And I'm like, no, I really don't. I'd given that up many years ago um, because I was raised super conservative Christian. So I turned my back on that as a rebel many years ago. And it was a book called Man's Search for Meaning. So I read this book and I'm like, huh. So then I go through studying, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism. And I was a Kabbalist for a while, wore the red bracelet like Madonna, right? So I started going through all these religions and I found for the first time in my life, happiness within myself. And I was like, this is great. I was sitting at home. I knew what wealth was. I knew it was inside. It was an inside job. And I had no desire for money or external wealth. So all of that, you know, prior to 38 was push, push, grind, grind, like going towards something that I thought was actually going to make me happy. and was going to make me whole and complete. And then after the second bankruptcy, when I bottomed out, I was able to really look back and face myself now, what I say is what's worse than losing everything you have is realizing you didn't even have a good time doing it, right? So I'm like, I, I wasn't even having fun. You know, I was compromising. I was overriding. I was trying to get the deals done just out of integrity. I was just doing what you do, you know, what people do in business that they consider regular business moves. And um, I had no desire for business. And then, of course, the idea for poopery comes and... And I'll tell you a little bit more about how that manifested. But what happened was I didn't want to be in business, but I knew the idea was so good that I needed to bring it to market. So it was almost like getting pregnant and, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm like, I've got to birth this child. And that's what I felt with poopery. Like I have to bring this into the world. But I had a big difference between, you know, the six years prior when I felt bankruptcy is I said, because I knew that you can lose everything at any moment. And some of you may be experiencing that right now. You feel like you're at the, the biggest bottom that you have. What I knew is that if I can lose everything, then I'm only going to do what turns me on and lights me up. Because at least if the rug gets pulled off underneath me again, I, I can look back and say I had a great time, right? I have to, I have to ask you a question here. Okay. <laughs> I believe in what you're saying. I mean, you and I have yep. hung out with Joe Polish and I've done Dan Sullivan's classes. You know, they've both been guests on the show. Uh, and I said, all right, I'm only going to do what brings me joy, right? Because you only live once, right? And so what that meant was giving myself permission to ask for help doing stuff I don't like to do versus like, I'm just going to chop wood and carry water, which is what all those Zen teachers, which I talked to in, <laughs> in Tibet when I was going there to learn all that stuff. I'm like, you know, maybe I, if I had chopped wood and carried water, <laughs> I could do something else that was more meaningful exactly. to me and maybe to the world, right? Um, and maybe it's all my ego in there and like, oh, I'm just too good to chop water. Or maybe it's just like I wanted to record this interview more than I wanted to chop wood, right? And like, I, I still struggle with that. But yeah. my, my son, who was nine or maybe eight at the time, he goes, Daddy, I don't want to empty the dishwasher. I go, well, you don't have a choice about that because that's your job. 
And he goes, but it doesn't bring me joy. <laughs> I'm I like, oh, him. you little, <laughs> okay. So I'm going to take it from his perspective here with what you just said. And I'm going to yes. put on my hat of someone who doesn't have a job because there's 30 million unemployed people right now who weren't unemployed yeah. a little while ago. Or someone who's like, yeah, right. You know, don't do things you don't enjoy. Like, sorry, I got to put food on the table. How did you reconcile those? Because like you've been bankrupt multiple times. Like you've dealt yeah. with abuse, like you've dealt with all kinds of stuff. So you're the go-to expert on this. How do you reconcile what you just said with what you have lived? Yeah. And I love that question. Basically, I would say is put food on the table. And then when you get home and you have a couple hours at night, look for that job that's going to turn you on. Okay. Realize that that's not the permanent place you're going to be. I think, first of all, we think I'm going to be stuck in this job forever and I'm going to have to do this forever. Um, and I don't believe that. I believe that you should. I mean, we have to be responsible, right? We have to keep children alive. We have to keep ourselves alive. So let's do that. But always be looking for, realize like I am doing this for a reason. And that actually turns me on. Actually paying my bills and having a roof over my head turns me on more than living out in the street, right? Let's get real. And your son, um, Alan, may have said, and you may have said, well, if you don't, you're going to be punished or, you know, whatever that. Oh, I just told him that we had other chores that we could do. Um, one of his uh, favorite chores is shoveling out the pig shelter because, yes, we live on a small farm. And magically, he liked the dishwasher when he realized that there was a See? choice. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So that's it is realizing that, you know, like I have a business and sometimes I don't want to show up. But the greater joy that I have is showing up and being responsible for the people that I've made a commitment to, even though at the moment it may not just super light me up. So what I do is I put people around me. Now I have that luxury. I can put people around me to do things that I don't particularly love so I can spend more of my time doing what turns me on. For example, my first hire was a bookkeeper. And I remember someone making fun of me. They're like, what? Like you don't even have a business yet. And I'm like, I hate it that much. <laughs> Right. It's like I, I knew to, to hire out what I hate so that I can keep doing what I do, which is being creative. But one of my favorite first hire stories ever came from another uh, entrepreneur named Naomi Whittle, who's been on the show. And when she started her first company like 20 years ago, she hired a nanny. She didn't have kids. She said, I need someone to take care of me so I could run my company. She was like 22 years old or something like that and literally hired a nanny. And I'm like, that is so smart. So smart. I need a nanny right now. Uh, and so I, I actually think you were off. And this is I'm, now I'm going to get on my little soapbox for entrepreneurs in general, but especially my women friends who are entrepreneurs or, or early on entrepreneurs. And any any entrepreneur, man or woman has figured this out after five years, but the ones who are doing their, you know, their first hundred thousand in revenue. You have to look around yourself and say, do I wash my own socks? Right? And if you wash your own socks, you're a bad entrepreneur, bad entrepreneur. <laughs> like, so yeah. you went for a bookkeeper. Like, you need someone to fold your laundry for you first so you can do your own bookkeeping. Like it's getting okay. I had, I had the crap out. That that. You what? I had a husband that did that. Okay, fair point. You'd outsource. Oh, good sure. good deal. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's a good piece of advice. Even if, if you're sitting here going, God, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Look, if you can do something that gets you $20 and for that time, you have to buy that time for $10 by paying someone else to do something, you do that, right? 100%. And, yeah. and I, I'm happy that you mentioned that, okay, I hired a bookkeeper because it drains your energy. And, energy. and frankly, what happens? Because you've run some sizable companies. Is, is the, are the revenue or the general size of Poopery or number of customers something like 
like to demonstrate the scale of that business for people? How do you how do you talk about scale there without giving away too much? Yeah, I just say it's, you know, about, well, we sold, I think, 90, probably 100 million bottles okay. right now. There you go. Yeah. So, so it's, it's big, right? Yeah. Yeah. We sell a lot of that shit. And I can tell you, do not blend it into your coffee. Not even one time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not a good idea. I have sprayed it in my mouth before, accidentally. I always had these potions everywhere. And one day, I'm, you know, I'm going to call it, I spray it. I'm like, <laughs> It tastes, like really? it tastes like yeah, it tastes like lemon rind. So don't worry, it's okay. essential oils. You're not going to die, um, but it doesn't taste good. I would not recommend <laughs> it. I would recommend you know it goes other places, but not in your mouth. Okay, um, got it. I I would have loved to have a video of that. Just the look on your face would have to be priceless. Oh, I was just like, what is this? <laughs> At least I know how it tastes now. Okay, fair point. And, you know, you you definitely put your money where your mouth is there. You're like, all right, it's not, ah, okay, it didn't taste good, but I'm alive. (laughs) So it sounds like that, okay, what I was going to say, okay, so you've done 100 million bottles of poopery, which is so epic. What happens to small companies who don't have good bookkeeping? Mm, well, you know, I always say, you know, my friend Marie Forleo says, calls it figure outer, she calls it everything's figure outable. I've always called it figure outer muscle. So what I believe is also another thing that I think probably most people know is I haven't had investors and I haven't had any loans. So I've built the company without any debt. But I've done that by being extremely resourceful. So all of my tough times really created what I call the figure outer muscle where I can get myself out of most any situation with creativity and with creative, not creative bookkeeping, you know, but it kind of is. <laughs> for, for example, for example, my first Christmas, Dave, like I didn't know, you know, I was selling product. I didn't know how I was going to get through my first holiday season because I didn't have inventory. I didn't have money for inventory because I didn't have any loans or investors. And um, I basically called my vendors and said, hey, you know, can I get 90 or 120 day terms just during Christmas so that I can, you know, um, make it through the holidays? And my manufacturer called me back and said, we'll make you a better deal. We're actually if you will supply us all the raw goods, we'll build all the materials and we won't charge you until we actually ship. So it was incredible. So it's like I have a partner. They're still my manufacturer to this day, my main manufacturer. So I've never left them because of their loyalty to me when I was starting. I had loyalty. So I developed a lot of partnerships and that helped fund things like, you know, so that I could have a bookkeeper, right? So I could keep business going and growing. Um, but I would definitely hire out what you hate, not what you don't like, but what if it like I no way am I going to sit there. I haven't bounced my checkbook since I was like 15 years old. Like I am not going to do bookkeeping. Like there's just no chance that's going to happen. I, it, I'm with you. I, yeah. So what I would do though, I hired someone that knew how to do bookkeeping, but they weren't an accountant. So eventually, like every six months, I would bring in an accounting firm to do an audit, and I eventually started doing that every um, quarter. So with I an was accounting like, firm? That's insane. You don't do an annual audit? You do it four times a year? I did because wow. I just wanted to make sure we were doing everything right because I don't want to even deal with accounting. It's like, hey, come in and audit us because I have this, you know, $15 an hour bookkeeper keeping our books. So I put in, so I put in kind of these bumper guards around so that the company could grow and make it without having an expensive CFO or an accountant. You know, it cracks me up when people are like, you know, two years old and they're like, we need a CFO. I'm like, CFO, like you haven't even, <laughs> you're not even making a lot of money yet, you know, wait, and there are ways to get around it. 
So for me, I use my, my resourcefulness and my creativity to sort of like hack my way through, you know, how to make it. So that's really cool. You had affordable in-house people, but then you brought in more expensive outside people to sort of monitor and track. Okay. And I still do this to that. To, to this day. That is uh-huh. so interesting. Um, you know, Supernatural took me two years to actually uh, build that brand and to create those those products. And I spent like $2 million before I ever launched it. Um no, it was a lot. Yeah, major investment. I'm not saying it's the smartest thing I've ever done. It is. So the, the products are incredible. I don't know if, if I've sent you any. I need to. But, um, oh, my gosh. So what I wanted, I use oils differently. I use oils to do a job rather than I use essential oils to smell good. So I had it. Actually, I worked with a hippie chemist and with a really high-tech lab. So we all got together, and I wanted 100% natural products that worked better than chemicals. So you so like that, the, the breaking bad of natural products? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it does. Like our, our floor cleaner works better than the number one wood floor cleaner. And it has like, it has like fur in it. So it conditions the wood as it goes. So I spent a lot of time in formulation. I spent a lot of time with sustain, sustainability experts with lowest carbon footprint of any cleaning product line. So I did that differently. I really felt the impact of me putting, you know, a hundred million plastic bottles into the world. Um, our family has a karma fund for that. So you know, that I started a company 15 years ago, you know, Poopery. So when I did it today, I was like, I would do things completely different. I will make sure that I have a responsibility that I didn't know 15 years ago. Yeah. People are shifting around that. And I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways uh, and with, with my companies, but particularly Bulletproof. And we're, we took this huge margin cut. And if you're not an entrepreneur or a business person, that means basically I pay more for the stuff that I sell, but I didn't, I didn't raise my prices when I switched from uh, palm oil as a source for MCTs to coconut oil, because I wanted sustainability. I didn't want to kill orangutans. And so right. all of a sudden I spent 20% more on my product than I did before, but I didn't want to raise the price because it's already a premium product. It's the best out there. Uh, but those things are largely invisible. And same thing, you know, I, when I started out, well, you couldn't get the coconut stuff. I had to bang on a, on a vendor to do that for me. But um, in the case, in your case, like, okay, 15 years ago, like plastic bottles, but Supernatural is still plastic or are you going for glass? No, they're all all glass and they're concentrates. So I'm not shipping water either. So you just pour the concentrate in, they're glass vials that you're all, and it's it's incredible. So I really spend a lot of time really thinking a lot about the company and how it should look and how it wants to manifest. And those are our values now. You know, as we grow it now into a lifestyle brand, um, we're growing out of, uh, you know, house cleaning into other products. Um, and, and I'm excited about it. I mean, I love it. It's, it's great. It's to me, it's a challenge. I'm like, can I create a hundred percent natural product that works better than chemicals? That's just an epic challenge to me. And it took a long time and a lot of money and I did it. So I feel really proud. And you did um, this all with your own funding as well now, because oh, presumably yeah. you don't need other funding. Okay. Yeah, no, I did it with my own. Um, yeah, but I, and also I only have four employees still. We're all direct to consumer. I decided not going to retail. Um, so I've done things quite a bit differently. And you only have four employees. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's amazing how lean you can run and still operate a sizable company. Distributed team? Yeah. Okay. So are they in the same city as you or no? Yeah, they're all in the same city. Um, but what's exciting about them is they all wear multiple hats. So I've really been looking at that, even within Poopery, we just, I just blew up my um, e-com department 
and as they blew it up. And, you know, um, we actually have consultants in there and it's amazing. So you replaced your e-commerce department with consultants? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So you're, you, you really believe heavily in, you know, kind of piecing it together from external things whenever possible with a core team of kind of glue. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And and keeping people on track and on board. Sometimes when, what I notice with poopery that's different, it's easy to get fat and lazy. Yeah. You know, it's easy for a company to get fat and all these processes and processes and processes. I'm a renegade and I'm a rebel, you know, and we have so many processes, everything becomes slow. And I'm always about keeping as many processes as we need, but not too many. So that, for example, we got hit pretty hard um, with COVID as far as business. We had a, one of our largest accounts didn't take a multi-million dollar shipment. It really kind of, yeah, kind of screwed us. And um, I had just had surgery and I'm laying here and I heard about hand sanitizer and I just call my team and I go, how quickly can we get in the hand sanitizer business? And we were from the idea to being on shelf within six weeks and hand sanitizer. And we've sold millions of bottles. And whoever thought you could have poopery hand sanitizer. But, but but when you're small and nimble and flexible, you can move quickly like that. The, the big guys can't do that. And that's our advantage is the speed and agility. Very, very cool. Now, you're in a great position though. You're like, oh, millions of bottles, no problem. I'll just uh, write a check for that. Now put on your, I just went bankrupt when I was 19 hat and you want to do the same thing. How'd you do it? Oh, I would be hustling out on the streets, man. I would probably right now, I would probably put a website up and take pre-orders. I would make it so compelling and so good. Well, let's back that up. First of all, I would not make anything that wasn't epic because I will tell everyone here, we need no more things in the world unless it is a gross. We don't need Bluetooth toasters? No, no, no. We only... If it only if it improves our life and it's so much better improvement than what's out there, then go for it. Then if that happens, then you also have a natural marketing system, which is word of mouth. Think about it. People don't tell people about good products. If I went to a restaurant and I said, hey, Dave, you go, how was that restaurant? I go, it's good. You're going to be like, okay, but what if I go, oh my God, it was so great. You're not going to believe the appetizer. You're going to go. So that's what I try to tell entrepreneurs is don't stop at good. Like, make it great. And then when it's great, then I would build a website, ask my friends who got it to give testimonials. And I would start almost a pre-order kind of uh, Kickstarter thing myself. You can start a website yourself. That's what I would do these days. It's so cheap. For five bucks, you can have a website. And it used to be like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, right? And so everything is cheap to do now. So you're saying anyone, even you, when you were 19, um, or if you were 19 now, you're saying all right, you do a website and start talking about it. And all of that can be self-taught on YouTube videos. Like you don't have to know what you're doing. You don't have to know what you're doing. But also, if you don't like figuring stuff out, really question if you want to be an entrepreneur. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that's all you're going to do every day, multiple times a day. Like, okay. <laughs> well, I don't right? think we're going to go here. All right. <laughs> there are so many people who know that being an entrepreneur, it's as cool as being a rock star, Right. Okay, so what is your advice for people who aren't sure if they want to be entrepreneurs? I, well, do you like solving problems? <laughs> because that's all you're going to do all the time. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like, like like run screaming might be good advice for that. Like, like it, it's a really hard job unless it's your calling. It's a, am I really, overstating that? No, I tell people, okay, here's the deal. When you're on a track team, there are people that like to just run around the track, right? And they're maybe long distance runners. There are people that are hurdlers. That's an entrepreneur. If you like jumping hurdles, 
then get in the game. If you don't like jumping hurdles, if you complain every time you walk up to one, like, <laughs> you're not a hurdler, okay? Get over on the other side of the track and run around for someone else. They'll love you. Team up with an entrepreneur. But that's the thing. If you don't like and if it doesn't turn you on to solve these problems and be in crisis after crisis after crisis, then don't even go there. Now, a lot of people, especially when they're young, I go back to the way I was when I was 19. I was in crisis after crisis. I didn't even know it. I'm like, there's no crisis. There's no reason for there to be a crisis. Meanwhile, like the voice in my head is like, ah, and, you know, freaking out. Uh, and some of that's just, you know, the wisdom of years, you know, you, you do it enough times and you figure it out. And clearly, you know, it took you a couple of tries to figure it out. And me too, you know, this is, I think my third career or something, but <laughs> when I, I, I look back on that and say, all right, what about all the people who are listening who are like, okay, I'm going to take your advice or I just don't think I have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I want to do something else, but they still have this, this consciousness thing that they're doing. And, and I want to ask you about that because you're really clear. Like, look, you need to hack your consciousness. You have to change not just your thinking, but consciousness is deeper than thinking. So my first question for you about this, which is really the core of how you've made your personal transformation, how you've become as successful as you are as a human being, not just financially. Um, what is the difference between consciousness and thinking? And is there one? Oh, gosh, we're going there? Well, hey, you're the one who talks about, hey, you got to change your consciousness, you got to hack your consciousness, so you got to tell me what it is if I'm going to hack it. I don't even know. I don't think anyone knows what consciousness is, right? Isn't Just tell me the difference between it and thinking, right? Because, I mean, isn't it possible to change something beyond how you just think about stuff, or are they just so integrally tied? Just like, look, change how you think about it, you know, be grateful instead of hateful and, you know, go team? So I would rather say thinking and feeling, rather than thinking and consciousness. So for example, like I used to believe that everything was strategy. You know, if I had enough strategy, then I can make enough money, right? If I can hustle enough, if I can like, and I was just talking about hustling, making problems, you know, having problems, but it's different. I'm hustling towards something that actually lights me up and turns me on, not just towards something that I think is going to make me money and give me some end result. Um, so what I what I believe with consciousness is, well, let's go back. So after my bankruptcy, even if I had been successful, I wasn't able to feel the money that I had. I wasn't able to feel wealth. So what my practice is now, like I feel wealthy. I happen to be financially wealthy now, but I also know where wealth comes from. So that is an internal state of being that I couldn't have created on my own. It was really from me emptying everything out and then going, oh my gosh, there's a well of there's a well of bliss and joy and happiness within me. And then over time, Dave, what I started noticing it are patterns, and that I was actually I've really noticed of how much we've programmed ourselves and society's programmed. So we're like these computer. Let's get into the matrix for a second. We're like these computer simulations that are running around in this patterned, programmed life. And then we can actually look at that life and go, hold on, why did I do that three times? I notice this pattern keeps happening. What's wonderful is we can do things like your 40 years of Zen. We can go back in, we can reprogram our subconscious mind, which is actually the birthplace of those original, that bad or old code. Let's call it old code because it's not bad code because it was written for survival. But we can actually, but we can actually change that code. And then we can start creating a different reality based on that new change. So it's really programming. So it's, re I call it biohacking consciousness, but it's actually reprogramming. Okay. 
I'm 100% in agreement with everything you just said, and I'm going to put on my um, my doubter hat. Let's do it. Okay, I want you to go back to your 19-year-old bankrupt self who was about to get into a really bad relationship with an emotionally abusive person. Did you really reprogram your consciousness or did you just get the shit kicked out of you so many times that you finally learned? No, back then I I was actually programming myself for a survival state. I was programming myself. I was programming myself through my experiences that life is hard and that it never works out. So that was your story. Okay. Yeah. Well, you call it story, but it's actually we're programming that every time with our experiences. So what no one told me is, guess what? You can go in and there's lots of free things you can do online to, you know, reprogram your subconscious mind. You can do tapping, you know, you can do a million things, whatever turns you on again. Um, but no one ever told me that I could be part of what was creating the problems in my life. You know, I was like a, I was like a, skier going 100 miles an hour down the slope that lost a ski that was tumbling. You know, I was just like, ah! no one said, hold on, you could be creating all of this. I'm like, what? And when I figured that out, what I started noticing, I call it being like a detective in my life. What I started noticing is patterns. I'd be like, hold on, that happened three times. Where would that have come from? So then I go back in and I start like reprogramming. Like, oh, if it happens three times, it's definitely a pattern. And if it's a pattern, where was that pattern created? And that pattern, just like a programming language, Dave, you know, you program an arm to do this, and when you're writing a video game, that arm will do that to infinity, right? As far it, as it'll we know. do it, and and the the program itself won't know that it's been programmed to do that. It'll just know that's what it always does, and that that's that weird thing, right? Exactly. So when I started noticing our patterns, and let me give you an example of business. I had three COOs. They all screwed me over. One of them had been in prison. Someone forgot to do a background check. One of them, oh, like seriously, one of them opened a manufacturing plant behind my back, was putting millions of bottles of poopery through it. And I, so after three, I was like, hold on, either I am the worst interviewer and you know, hiring person on the planet or there is some, there's some goggles that I'm looking through that I am creating this. So I went through, I did a lot of work. My first memory, one of my first memories was cooking for my parents at four years old. My dad was a bipolar alcoholic. My mom was on pain pills. So guess what I had a story of? That I'm not supported. And you have to do it all yourself, right? I have to do it all myself. So I am, through this program and through these goggles, I am hiring these people that are perfectly giving the experience it helps put that prog program back in and affirms it like oh yeah see Susie comes in she has to save the day this is what she does all the time so I go I do a lot of internal work EMDR hypnosis hypnotherapy and um, now I have Boyd Boyd is my senior VP of ops he's been there for about three years Boyd and I sh like have tears with each other, like how much he's taught me about security. He had interviewed with me for two years prior, Dave, and I went, Boyd is so boring. Like I cannot have Boyd in my building. And Boyd now has taught me about support. But the reason I can appreciate Boyd is because of the internal reprogramming that I did. And now I know I can be supported. So what I do is I say that our internal world, our external world is reflected by our internal world. If I want to know how my life's going, I just need to look around. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. 
One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. All right. You you figured out that you had this this programming. Um, and just in the interest of you know, sharing with people listening, some our age, some older, some younger, uh, you know, one of mine was was kind of similar. It was that no one's no one wants to help you. Like, like you're gonna have to do it all yourself. And you know, I got that just being raised to be strong and independent and whatever else. Uh, and so that meant like my freshman year in college when I was doing, or was my sophomore year, I was doing that, that t-shirt kind of thing. There were guys running 50 and $100 million companies who had come into my dorm because I signed up to be in the little entrepreneurial interest area. And they're like, I want to help. And I would hear that like, no, they don't want help. They just want something. And literally I had access to like this incredible array of people who would have just helped me. They would have written me checks to fund something. Like they, they just wanted to help someone younger because they had to go through all that crap. But I was entirely not open to that stuff. And it took me like another 10 years to go, wait a minute, like people actually want you to succeed? And, and so it took me a long time and lots of failure and, and angst and all to realize that. And I mean, we, I could talk some other time about how I realized that. What I want to know is, you realized at some point that you had to do that. So in order to create the change, you got to know there's a problem. Did you hire a therapist? Did you do ayahuasca? Uh, you talk about EMDR, which is done by a therapist. I mean, did you, you know, go fast in a cave in, on a submarine? I, I don't know. Like, what, what was your path? How did you just wake up one day and be like, oh, my God, I have all these beliefs that are totally not working? All of the above. So the first thing I did is there was a book by Byron Katie called Loving What Is. Oh, great. And She's been on, yeah. Oh, yeah. So within two weeks, I was in her 10-day um, workshop, and I didn't have the money to do it. I begged them to finance it, and I put I put a little bit on a credit because I just bought bankruptcy. And I went in drinking a double like um, bottle of yellowtail Chardonnay a night. And I know. And I came out of there 10 days later and was completely sober for 10 years. And I mean, I'm, I'm sober again. I don't have a drinking problem. What I had was a thinking problem, right? I had a lot of beliefs that were, I, I, that's when I started realizing that my beliefs were creating my suffering. So that was the first aha, right? It was like, hold on. Very, very zen. Okay. Yeah. So I was in her camp for about four years. So I was at every workshop. I was, you know, volunteering. And really, that's when I really 
developed this kind of enlightened state of just being at home, crying, being, you know, totally happy. I knew where wealth came from. I was wealthy and I had no money. So I wrote a course called Inside Out, How to Create a Life You Desire by Going Within. I had five women in the course. No one finished it. And I had the aha, like, oh, I haven't created money. Like, that's what they think wealth is, right? So I just put that course back out. I have 150 people going through it right now. And do you teach it personally? Like, I didn't even know. I do. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's called, it's called a live OS for a live operating system. Um, so I renamed it. Um, but what happened was I started realizing that my beliefs were part of my suffering. And then I just started noticing that. Now, through my journeys, I've done somatic therapy for probably 20 years. I've drank ayahuasca over a hundred times. I've, you know, I've done 5-MeO. I've done tons of MDMA psilocybin journeys. <laughs> at a certain point, do you ever think it might not be working if you had to do it a hundred times? <laughs> Look at my life. Something's okay. working. <laughs> so, something's working. I was like, wow, a hundred is getting up there. Like, you know, there, there's a few people have been on the show who've done about that number, but that, that tends to be at the very high end. Okay. But it, it's, uh, you know, you're like, why argue with success there? Okay. And my first 35 ceremonies were brutal. I mean, getting my ass kicked. And my ex-husband, my ex-husband, my husband at the time, kept going, why do you keep doing this? And each time I felt like a big chunk was taken off of me, right? I kept feeling more and more of myself. So I've done it all. I've done hypnotherapy. I've done, and I tell people, do everything. Do anything and everything you can because your programs are deep and they're old. And then this is just not even just this life and our life experiences. Think about generational programming. Think about societal programming. Think about, I mean, we have a lot of programming. I'm a fan of the Matrix, so I totally believe. Oh, me too. This. Yeah. So I live my life literally like that, going, oh, that's interesting that happened. And if it happens a few times, I go, I don't want that. So if I don't want that, I need to just look what the source code is. I go back, I shift that source code, and then I can create something different. And it happens every time. Uh, and the way you're shifting the source code now, as opposed to all the things you've done before. So let, let's say there's a glitch in the matrix, a cat walks through and you have deja vu three times right here on the podcast. Right. Okay. What, what is the first thing you would do? The first thing I do is go back to why would I be creating that? I get curious. Okay, so you'd sit down. Do you journal or do you have like a special chair? Or do you like spin around on a merry-go-round? Like what's, what's your process? <laughs> Stand on my head and twirl. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No, I just, I sit and I get curious and I say like, huh, why would I have created that? What belief would I have had to have had in order to create that? And I, I go with the first thing that pops in. I trust whatever comes okay. through. So this is a very Byron Katie uh, sort of sort of lineage of process. Okay. And um, if I can offer to listeners what you just said there, the first thought that pops into your head, it's always right. Even if it's the most batshit crazy thing ever. And, and I, I see this over and over when I'm doing neurofeedback with, with people at 40 years. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm working on this thing I do in the boardroom or whatever. And, and, and all of a sudden, I thought about this thing I haven't thought of since first grade when little Johnny was mean to me. I'm like, we're going to go do that. Like, what are you talking about? Yes. It's always the first thing. And it's usually so stupid. I know. <laughs> it's so stupid. What is the <laughs> dumbest thing that's ever popped in your head that was right? Um, probably I remember the story of this little boy. I was working on relationship, um, because, you know, I've been trying that thing. I, I, I can say there, there are, there are patterns where I have not been successful, Dave. 
<laughs> trying that thing. <laughs> trying that, you know, relationship thing. I'm still, that's still a, a process. Uh, that's my current reprogramming. But I was doing hypnotherapy and um, I remember this little boy in second grade asked me to be his girlfriend. And I was so excited. Remember, my nickname was Dog Barker. And I was so excited because he was the cool kid in second grade. And then an hour later, he told the whole classroom it was a joke. Oh, that's so mean. But it's so stupid. It's like it was an hour of my life. Have you ever like tracked him down now and had like a garbage truck dump stuff on his lawn just out of nowhere? Just No, that's a great idea. I don't know if I- <laughs> that's so dark. And I know revenge is bad. But come on, you have to have thought of it once. But come on, that feels good. <laughs> But to think there's something that really is benign that all kids do. It, it was a dumb two, a second grader, right? But man, it hurt, okay? And that was still sticking with you how many years later? This is like 40 years later or something, right? Oh, yeah, 40, yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> decades later. 48. Yeah, decades later, it's still here. Um, but it, that's what's so crazy. It's like I would have never, I didn't even remember that event happening until I went into hypnotherapy. So I just go with the first thing that pops in. All right. Can, I, I, I think I'm ready to disclose something I've never talked about on the show because it's so in alignment with, with that and you'll laugh. Ooh, okay. okay. So I'm um, going back, I don't know, five, six years. Bulletproof was still really young and, you know, it was a vulnerable brand. You know, you're, you're just making a noise for it. Um, a very famous and powerful podcaster who you may have heard of um, uh, called Joe Rogan. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. I go on his show. I actually had never heard his podcast because I actually read like medical research for fun. I'm not cool, even though people think I'm cool. So uh, I go on and he's like this, some kind of like UFC guy and he makes dick jokes. And like, I like, that's all I know. And I'm like, Hey, here's what coffee does. And it totally changes his brain. He's just like raves about it. And his followers are like, yeah, go Dave. And I'm like, wow, I kind of feel like I'm the cool kid now. Um, and then one of his buddies decides he's going to knock off my brand, like literally tries to take the name and the company he's invested in. Like they try to say I didn't create Bulletproof Coffee and like all kinds of smear campaigns, like like made up stuff they never published. And I saved all the emails. I never published it. So anyway, it it really messed with the way I was reacting with my team. I, I, I got really reactive uh, and I was like, what is going on with me? And um, Zach, uh, my, my first marketing guy, was like, Dave, like something's weird. You need to go work on this. So I put electrodes on my head. <laughs> you know, I do the neurofeedback thing. And the first thing that pops into my head was from just like you. For me, it was first grade. And I was uh, like some kid was peeing on the wall in the bathroom. And I was like, teacher, little Johnny's you know, peeing on the wall and you shouldn't do that. I think that's wrong. And he comes out and goes, no, oh, no, I didn't do it. Dave did it. And I got punished for it. Right. And I had forgotten this. I had no idea this happened to me, but I was sitting there, you know, going into altered states uh, and this popped into my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting blamed when I was helping. And what I did is I went on the Rogan show and I helped his audience do stuff that worked. And there was no badness. There was no selling. There was nothing I did that that was justifying the way I was being treated. And it was that sense of injustice triggered whatever emotions I had in first grade. So I whacked that mole with neurofeedback and then I looked at the numbers. I'm like, wait. Every time Joe Rogan says Dave Asprey is a bad man, I sell more coffee. So like in reality, like bring it on, like say my name, brother, say my name. But in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm dying. Oh, it's unfair. And like that was just bad programming. So you made me think of that. I haven't thought of that in a couple of years. But 
it's this old shit from our childhood, right? I know, man. So <laughs> I've never talked about that. And you just, you made me think of it because that's so irrelevant. Like who cares that little Johnny peed on the wall, right? Well, who cares? But what I theorize and we'll see is that you actually create that reality so that you can go back in there and reprogram that. Or that was, that was actually created. Joe, you know, you created Joe to say that so that you could actually see that. This is where it gets very matrixy. And yeah, it's a lesson you need to learn. You know what I do now to avoid that um, is I just spray poopery before an interview and it, it's nothing, nothing bad ever happens. It's great. Genius. Genius. <laughs> That's the way it works. Yes. Okay, so you get pretty deep when you've studied Kabbalah, you know, you've done all the stuff and, and people know that I've done shamanic training and I've you know talked about using different hallucinogens and, you know, the ancient Tibetan traditions and, you know, Chinese medicine and also I'll go there. I'm scientific, but like, hey, you gotta be curious if you're scientific. How do you practice discretion and judgment before you kick open a door? Well, I wish I could tell you I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, screw that discretion. Okay. That would be nice. Well, my goal is to reach my highest evolution within this lifetime, and I don't know what that is. So I want to continue growing and learning. So I am okay with the hard path. So if why, I why feel are you limiting it that something, way? <laughs> limiting what? My highest evolution within this lifetime. Like, why you screw that? Like, like, cut off that within this lifetime. Just be like ASAP. <laughs> you're so smart. Or like right now. <laughs> I'm not you're, even kidding. You're you're genius. Oh well, thank you. No, seriously. Oh my god. Like that's my goal. Scalable, enlightened for everyone right now. Right that, that includes now. me, by the way. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the biggest gift. You're thank being so you. patient. Like, come on. I'm way too patient. Like, all of a sudden, like, what have I been doing? In, in all seriousness, I hear that. I'm like, oh, this is one of the things that's going to be hard. My new guru. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to build a shrine of you after this, okay? It's going to have a Dave <laughs> Well, okay, we won't. We, we could do an excerpt. But but it's like, like <laughs> I, I just that just popped into my mind, um, like little Johnny from first grade. But the... The idea there it is that okay, so you're working on it, but you're you're willing to take the risks, right? Of just saying, all right, I'm going to kick open the door because, like, I was called to kick open the door, and that's how it is, right? I was called to kick open the door, yeah. And I know that my life has improved every single time. And what I do is I work like a shaman on many levels. So while this spiritual world is going crazy over here, and I'm dealing with real. With, with you know, a lot of energy stuff. I also am very practical in the material world. So for example, that, you know, there were potential lawsuits or everything. They had no case. It was really just energetic. But I had a team of attorneys that was working on the, the this material plane to kind of hold spot, kind of spot everything and hold everything in place while I was doing the energetic clearing. And then once I cleared energetically, of course, those people just vanished and dropped everything, which is the way it happens. Let me ask Dave, you. Dave, oh, we yeah. are in the Matrix. Of course we're in the Matrix. <laughs> we're in one big ayahuasca ceremony, dude. <laughs> that, I always laugh at, at I have some some very good friends who are high up in the we're gonna upload ourselves to the internet and my answer over drinks is usually, haven't you figured out that we're already uploaded to the internet? <laughs> so it's a lot easier to hack that under those circumstances than it's like I'll create a virtual machine and then upload myself into a virtual machine inside the internet. But that you're that, like too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like should have looked should have looked earlier. Um, okay. Uh, oh, I, wait, here, there's something I want to. So I, this caffeine T-shirt that was a premonition. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, totally. It said caffeine, my drug of choice. It was a picture of the molecule of caffeine, trimethylxanthine. And to do yeah. this, I reached out over Usenet to a professor of caffeine chemistry somewhere on the East Coast, and I sent him a little note in a green screen text because we didn't really have many color monitors back then. Uh, and it was like, hey, you know, could I make a spray caffeine that would go sublingually? And he's like, no, it doesn't concentrate enough. And I got to know him and asked him questions to make the thing. And that was literally the birth of the first product over the internet. Really and impressive. I, I didn't know that. Uh, and you know what it was? I needed to pay my tuition and it went up something like 1500% or 900% or some sort of like many multiples while I was in college. I'm like, I can't afford this. I got to, I'm scrappy. So I, I did that. And, uh, um, it, and there you go. And here well, you are. Well, there I go. But still, look, still the caffeine king. But do you know how dumb I was? Okay. This was like the first e-commerce company. And then I get national media. I was in like 80 magazines when I was 23 over, hey, this kid is selling something over the inner something. And I was in the Miami Herald and then it gets in like all these things. And I'm like this puffy red faced kid, you know, with glasses um, and size 46 inch pants. And yeah, all this happened. What did I do? I didn't ask for help. I didn't go, hey, guys. Could somebody help me? Does anyone want to like give me a million dollars and teach me how to grow Amazon? No, I didn't do that. What did I do? I was like, I hate putting, I literally, this happened. I am so tired of putting t-shirts in these envelopes and taking them to the post office. I'm shutting down my sales. That's what I did. <laughs> well, it's worked out for you. I know, but like, <laughs> I was such a dumbass because of my internal program. Anyway, that's the whole reason I'm telling you that. It's like, you can just like, you can see it or you could not see it. It's like your son. I don't want to do the dishes anymore. I don't like it. I want to, Slop out the pigs. Pig slop. I want to go back to advice for people who are freaking out from the pandemic. And I want to go there. What is the change of the pandemic done for you? Like what's the, what's been the personal effect on you? So that, you know, I think that's going to provide a little bit of a flashlight for how other people can look at it. Well, it's really provided me the space that I needed to really go inside and reflect. And if I could the world this camera around, I would show you my walls right now are covered with probably 20 of the large uh, post-it notes and just everything written on it. Do you have like those red yarn things like crazy people have connecting all the dots? <laughs> no, but that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I have things like I'm not interested. I am interested in like, I'm just not interested in being the one that pushes anymore. Oh, I'm you're making not... lists like with a big stick on post-its? Oh yeah. I have list after list after list. And I've really gone through. I've never spent time for desires. Like Dave, I don't, want anything. I don't even think about wanting anything. I just create such an amazing life. My life gets better. I'm like, why would I even put a desire out there? But also I've never just sat down and went, what do I really want? So I've d done that. So it's provided me the space to really get clear about what I'm interested in. The stuff you can't buy, like what, what's my internal, what do I want to do? You know, I'm, you know, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? So it's really created this internal shift in me when I'm not interested in doing that anymore. Now I'm interested in doing this. For example, I don't know when I'm going home. I've been gone for three months. I've been in LA uh, camping out and in an amazing spot. And I don't know when I'm going to go back home. What I've realized is I can run my companies remote. Wow. So, yeah, so I've really done an internal assessment. Like there's a rebel inside of me that has not had a life right now. She's been a wait. I know we've had 100 ayahuasca ceremonies and all that. But trust me, there's still more of a rebel in here. But I'm like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to do this. I want to travel all over the world. So when it opens up, I'm going to Morocco. I'm going to Greece. Like who knows where I'm going. But what I've decided is that it gave me the space to do that. 
to actually dream and go, why am I waiting for my soulmate to go travel and go do what I want to do? I don't have to be in my company every day. Here I am. So wow. I've been doing so, so reflection is what is, is what is, has been the gift for you. Reflection and going, what do I, what really, what do I want to prioritize? I mean, if we really could all die, you know, at the beginning, everybody's like, ah, we're all going to die. You know, I don't believe that, but we could have. And it's like, okay, if that's true, then what am I going to spend my time and energy doing for the rest of my life? If we can just be wiped out from a virus, I mean, hell, we need to really think about what we're doing. Um, I, I was, you know, I, I went on this, this trip for the past, I don't know, five years. I interviewed a whole bunch of people and asked them a question for Game Changer, like statistically analyze what you know, gurus and people do. And uh, Jay Abraham, you've, have you, are you familiar with Jay Abraham's work? Yeah. He's spoken at Joe Polish's things. And, and Jay's a dear friend. He just was on the show. We released his show last week for the second or third time. And he's talking about how do you do well during the pandemic and create opportunities and things. But I wrote about him in my book, Game Changers, because he's saying, look, every time I've bought a really nice car, um, I was happy about it for like 48 hours or something. And then it's like, well, what's next? And, and that idea of like constantly on the treadmill, we talk about like getting what you want, but almost everything you talked about wanting was not a possession. Almost everything you talked about wanting was, you know, I want, you know, healthy relationships. I, I want, you know, a sense of freedom. Uh, when did you shift your wants from physical desires to like I want enlightenment or, you know, the furthest evolution of this life or like, like most people don't have those kinds of goals. Did you do that when you were young? Were you born that way? Did you decide it when you were 30? Like what, how did you shift that? Well, I think it was because after my second bankruptcy, when I realized that everything, I, I really became detached from a lot of material possessions. And I'll tell you right now, Dave, I say it all the time. Like right now, if you know, I had my backpack and had to walk out of here. Like, I'm going to be good. Like, I can tell you that. Like, my my being, my person that I am, I'm going to be great and I'm going to be fine. And um, that doesn't scare me. So I believe that it was that work that really shifted because before that it was only material. Like, I need to make money and I need to make it in the world. So I was completely opposite. Then I became, of course, in Byron Katie, the non-duality. I became super detached from I don't need anything, which is not necessarily grounded. So now I found this balance, like a shaman does, of living in both worlds. As I'm not attached and, wow, this is cool. What a beautiful way of, of explaining it. Because there's this, there, like if you, you think of your yoga teacher who can't show up to yoga class on time, like, well, you know a lot, but like <laughs> there's a problem if you're over there. And then you've, you like talk to like the, the engineering guy who more like me, like I am a meat robot. And like, that's probably not where you want to be either. And somehow you end up being in the middle where you can both do yoga and think and do that. And, and for me, that's been a big part of my spiritual evolution and all. And what I'm hearing from you is you went from that, and I was also one of those, like, if I don't have money, I won't be safe. Um, and you went from that as well, and along the way to the Byron Cave thing, you, you went too far on the land of the lotus eaters, and then you went, but after that, did you go too far on the, the mechanistic side, or were you already there, you just kind of balanced out in the middle? Yeah, what I realized is what I was doing literally, so I started going down to Peru. I drank ayahuasca 15 years ago. So what I would do is, right when, well, 14 years ago, I started my business and I would leave it for two weeks and go down to the jungle. So I'm in business world. I would go down to the jungle for 10 days, you know, for two weeks, no cell phone, no Wi-Fi. I'd leave my business. I'd come back, tell them about the spiritual awakening that I had. You know, it's amazing. And I remember I was literally bouncing back and forth all the time. I'd be like, okay, work mode, grind. You know, oh, now I'm, you know, 
puking and doing ayahuasca. And I remember the day I was sitting at my desk and some big scary thing happened in business. You can fill in the blank. I don't even remember it now, but at the time it was a big deal. Like someone knocked you off, right? And you're like, ah! And I remember sitting at my desk and I was like, I'm in ceremony. And what I realized is there is no difference in being in an ayahuasca ceremony than there is in life, that I'm always in ceremony. So that's when the worlds all started merging. And that's the reason I can say this right now is I'm always in ceremony. My experiences are ceremony. So, so professional shamans, and I don't mean the ones who like took, you know, the ones who took some ayahuasca twice and then hung up a shaman uh, uh, sign. Uh, no offense if you're one of those. Uh, I thank you for your work. Uh, but the, the guys from the jungle uh, who like, oh yeah, I take ayahuasca every day, and I have for the last ten years. Uh, and then, and I'm always a little bit in that world, and I'm in this world. And by the way, you know, there's a seven-headed you know, lizard creature in your in your aura or whatever. <laughs> like, the, okay, I'm like, whatever. The problem is when there's two of them who don't know each other, who both say the same thing and aren't in the same room when they say it, you're like, oh, dude, this is so yeah, messy. Sure, I don't even... There is a, a two-headed lizard thing or, or like there's a shared hallucination from these dudes. I don't know what's going on. But like, I'll just say, I've learned the world is pretty darn crazy. It's just more interesting than we think it is. And it doesn't mean I have to know it or accept that it's always that way, but just that... There's stuff I don't see that other people seem to be able to see. You have the same experience? Oh, 100%. But you're saying you're always doing that. So if you took 100 of these you know, 100 ceremonies like that, I mean you're you're kind of far along on that. So I mean, do you do you see weird curly creatures and glowing auras and stuff like that? Some people do, some people don't. By the way, I know what brain waves that people can see that look like. There are people who can do that. That's the joy of running 40 years of zen. We can spot that. Are you one of those? Um, I'm not as much visual and I'm definitely a feeler. So you like feel I can it. Oh, 100%. like this person's icky and you just know. Well, I can just feel, yeah, like, oh, they've got some trauma. You know, they get, they're going through stuff and they'll be like, everything's great. I'm like, no, 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 it's not good. Like, I can so feel it. So why doesn't that work for COOs and boyfriends? Well, because of the programming. <laughs> okay. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and so because you're working on that program. This is the stick I'm on right now. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to be a shaman as everybody that travels down to Peru does. You know, I'm like, I need to be a shaman. What am I doing? What am I doing in business? But but I do want to say this. So the, my, the master shaman I was with, I, I went down and said, what am I doing in business? This is crazy. I need to be a shaman. And he said something so profound. He said, shamans move energy. And money is energy. That's all it is. Business is the biggest way to move money, which you're moving energy. You're going to serve the world a lot better being in business than you are down here pouring ayahuasca to 20 people at a time. A business with a mission is shamanic. And a business whose job is just to make money is probably evil. <laughs> and probably, that, yeah. Still doesn't mean they have to be. They could be neutral. Uh, but they'll probably end up evil. Um, because if that's your goal, that's the emergent behavior. It's like, oh, I'll just take stuff, right? Rather than to you know, create and give back. Uh, okay, that that's interesting though your your perspective. So you thought you'd be a you thought you'd be a shaman. I know I I did uh, my first uh, experience with plant medicine was I think two thousand one uh, in Peru as well. Uh, way before ayahuasca was cool, but you were one of those as well. Like, was there someone at the airport holding up a sign that says ayahuasca for white people? <laughs> Uh, I am of the mindset that you can use plant medicine to kick the door open, but you still have to step through it, just like we talked about earlier. Well, that's the thing. So I've, I've journeyed with a lot of people over the years that have you know journeyed with me and their lives have not changed, but I also come back and do the work. 
So I integrate. I don't believe plant medicines by themselves. I believe they show you. They kick the door open, but you have to come back and actually do the integration work, do the real life work, like the amends. Just because you've done the thing you need to apologize for, you've seen it in ayahuasca, I don't believe actually shifts the energy. I believe it's when you come back and actually have that conversation. So I've had conversations where I literally puke in a bucket having that I never wanted to tell anyone. Those things, the more courageous you can get that way, the, the bigger you reprogram. Okay. This is going to be the most evil question ever, but should oh, I spray poopery in the bucket before I throw up in it? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to smell that shit? <laughs> I never thought of that before, but that was actually a really good idea. <laughs> okay. a great idea. That would have been great in college, right? <laughs> Listen to you. I knew that this would be a fantastic, fun interview because there's no question you won't answer it because you have a good sense of humor. Uh, and because you've, you've lived through a lot of crap and, like, and it seems like you've done so much work on yourself to get to level of success where you are that, you know, you, uh, you own your space. And uh, I just, when we first sat down, when we first met at, at Joe's thing, I'm like, oh, like you've, you've got a good vibe. You've, you know, you've, you've sat with your stuff enough and, and you've talked about a bunch of the stuff, EMDR, um, clearly you're on the plant medicine path and, you know, you've done a bunch of other healing work, um, I still need to come do the 40 years of Zen. I haven't done that yet. We are opening again after this COVID stuff. It looks like we should be open in the middle of June. We're booking like crazy. Everyone on earth wants to go right now. So anytime you're ready, Susie, it's it's there. It'll help you to integrate the little details even from the ayahuasca stuff. And we'll actually show you what it did to your brain too. Like, well, we'll be like, oh, look, you have these brain waves that most people don't have unless they've done a lot of work and, and all that. It's, it's pretty neat. So to, to know okay, the I'm advanced coming. It's states. been on my bucket list. So I need I need to come do that, and I'm not going home in the near future. So I may come up there next. It's only five days. All you have to do is find a way to get to Seattle. Hopefully there'll be some some flights open soon. Well, there are. Some, and is it but... is it five days of like totally tapped out, like no? I mean, it's possible well, in the evening you could text a friend or something, but thinking about you're running, it's like if you're in the middle of an ayahuasca ceremony, you're not going to step out. You're going to be really tired you've, you've done maximum personal development that you're capable of every day for five days and we have a computer showing you oh no you missed one you missed one you missed one. Oh, that's so good i want to do that i just did i just did five ketamine journeys with a uh with a medical researcher out of a doctor out of san francisco i was pioneering these telesessions he had me at the word he had me at the word pioneer right i'm like he's like do you want to pioneer these telesessions i'm like yes oh, I a do. telesession that's smart i um I did one and injected one for a show on depression and ketamine when I was down in San Diego. Um, that was uh, on, I actually like shot video and then recorded an interview. And yeah, ketamine could be a, I actually called the forgiveness drug. It was really easy to let go of old stuff. I like, forgave all my high school girlfriends or lack thereof. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, I appreciate your work in the world. I love your just radical honesty as an entrepreneur. Like, yeah, I deal with my own stuff. Uh, and you're continuously working on it. And at the same time, you're radically successful. And I think you, you serve as a model for how anyone, no matter how much success or lack the road they've had in their life, can you know, get their stuff together and go out and do something really big and something that matters. You know? And, and you're, you're doing that with both of your companies. And I think it's admirable and it's awesome. And I hope it's inspiring for people to listen. And thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for such a fun conversation and enlightened. I didn't know you were that deep. Uh, I try to hide it. It gets out sometimes too much coffee. It's it's a big problem. Your website is 
Your website is suzybatiz.com, S-U-Z-Y-B-A-T-I-Z. And I'm sure you guys can Google poopery or supernatural cleaning and you'll find her all over the place because she's, she's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Thanks for the episode. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. All you've got to do is go out there and buy something that supports the world you want to live in. And the reason you got to do that right now is because there's this whole pandemic and there's 30 million people without jobs and stuff like that. Support a local business. Uh, and yeah, if you're living with roommates, you might want to get some poopery. But that is not why Susie did this interview to sell more poopery. I promise you that. <laughs> but support businesses that do good stuff because you're supporting jobs right now. Order from a local restaurant. And let me give you a little hint. Call the restaurant on their phone number and order with your credit card and they'll get twice as much money as if you use the app on your phone. So if you want the restaurant you love to stay in business, give the money to the restaurant. It's really important. And I say that because I own a restaurant and it really matters. Like this is a matter of jobs or no jobs. Yeah, it matters. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.